you and your family take control of your health. Welcome everyone, Dr. Mercola, helping you take control of your health. And today we're joined by Naomi Wolf. We're going to talk about her new book and some of her updates since the last time we interviewed her for her old book, which dovetails nicely into the present, which is the end of America. So welcome and thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Mercola. I'm a huge fan of what you do, as I hope you know. Yeah, great. Well, thank you. So um, why don't you give us a little background story and what uh, prompted you to write your new book and which details your experiences over the last few years during because I think the end of America was written pre-pandemic, if I'm not mistaken. Second. That's right. It was it was written in 2008, which was um, the very start of this uh, headlong rush toward tyranny that we've seen escalate yeah. so much the last two years. Yeah. So we're having an exciting dialogue about that progression because it's this is not something new. This has been in the works for many years, decades, and we're just seeing the what appears to be maybe the final implementation of their strategy. So, so why don't we go into your new book and uh, t- tell us why you were motivated to write it? Because that's quite a, I mean, it was 2008 was the end of America. Then your new, well, that, that's quite a stretch, actually. That's over 12, that's about 13 years or 14 years. Yeah, I mean, you know, I wrote The End of America when I saw that um, issues around terrorism and the terror threat post 9-11 were being used uh, by, the, at that time, the Bush administration in such a way as to um, hype fear and strip us of our civil liberties. And in what I saw when I wrote The End of America was that, um, you know, I discussed this, was that there are 10 steps to fascism that uh, leaders who want to crush a democracy will always take. And they're the same 10 steps, whether the leaders are on the left or on the right, it really doesn't matter. And so I looked at history and I looked at different times and places in which a robust democracy was crushed. Um, And I saw that, you know, you start with invoking a terrifying internal and external threat. It can be a a real threat, but it's it's hyped. Um, You go on to surveil citizens. You create um, militia groups unaccountable to the rule of law. You create a gulag. Um, you start to demonize uh, whistleblowers and critics. You start to call dissent treason or espionage or subversion. And then you get to step 10, uh, which is martial law, in declaring emergency law. Well, here we are at step 10. And um, I realized at by about June or July of 2020, uh, when we were still under lockdown in New York State, um, I realized when my governor, Andrew Cuomo, here in New York, my then governor, stated that we couldn't have more than six people uh, in our homes, um, which is a massive violation of the Fourth Amendment and the First Amendment right to assembly, um, the right to privacy. Um, and I, I realized that, you know, this had nothing to do with a, a public health emergency and that what we were seeing was step 10. We were seeing a, a, a wholesale race to exploit um, what was messaged as a global pandemic uh, in such a way as to strip us of our remaining liberties and to kind of terraform America conceptually into being ready to accept a a CCP style World Economic Forum guided um, post-humane and and um, post-constitutional world. Um, And 
and that's only escalated. Uh, so I walk the reader through um, the money flow. Uh, I show how bad actors ranging from the World Economic Forum, so much in the news right now, to the Chinese Communist Party, to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and of course, to big tech companies, um, uh, massaged pandemic policy in various ways to suit their ends. And I show how millions are flowing to big tech companies, especially as a result of completely medically unnecessary pandemic policies. Um, and, and finally, I explain it, it, speaking as a tech CEO, which I, which I am now, um, that what the tech companies especially are driven by is that human beings in human space, having human conversations with human smiles and touch are a competition that they cannot um, manage to compete with. And so a lot of the policies that were rolled out as related to a public health emergency really serve to kill off that human advantage and transfer um, assets to, uh, to big tech companies. So uh, regarding your step 10 at <laughs> the end of America, the implementation of martial law, it seems like we're in a process right now, which is actually taking that to a new level, step 10 A or B, uh, which is the ratification of a World Health Organization treaty, which essentially gives them unbridled privileges of A, declaring an emergency, and then B, having total authority to dictate what every country in the world should do. Exactly. This is the most outrageous implementation and strategy, and it, and it appears to be well on its way to being approved. So I wonder if you can comment on that. Yeah, no, nothing is more timely and important, Dr. Mercola. Um, indeed, that's what's happening. And the fact that Americans have not been able to see this treaty easily to lobby their representatives, uh, to show up at their Congress people's and senators' offices and to say, not in our name. Um, that's just an example of why these meta-national treaties are so extraordinarily dangerous, and this one in particular. Um, the TPP, Trans-Pacific Partnership, for instance, was a meta-national treaty. Uh, a lot of people didn't like it, but it didn't so dramatically, essentially dissolve the nation state. Mm -hmm. um, and this is happening. And I've been, I wish people would wake up sooner, honestly. I've been warning people for about six months that a war is being waged against us here in the United States. We are at war, even though we, we think we're not. We don't see bullets flying. Um, this is a new kind of war. And it's a war that the Chinese Communist Party has developed very skillfully. Stalinists developed it skillfully. Uh, it's, and we, we actually train people to do it to other countries at places like School for the Americas. It's never been done to us like this before. But look, look, Dr. Mercola, and I'll, I'll answer your immediate question about the WHO treaty, but look at the big picture, you know, please everyone before I do, our southern border is open. Uh -huh. Thousands and thousands of people are pouring in. Hundreds I'm in, of thousands. Hundreds of thousands. Exactly. Thank you. I'm in favor of legal immigration. I'm the daughter of immigrants. However, what's happening, according to my sources, is that uh, fighting age men from Ukraine and from Afghanistan are pouring in um, millions of dollars in state of the art equipment, night vision goggles, uh, military equipment vanished 
in Afghanistan. We didn't recover it. Where is it? Who knows? Um, but these are men who are going all over the country, places we don't know. They're not being identified. Their destinations are not identified. They could be being put in place. Um, we're very vulnerable. Uh, and then at north of us, our you know, historically peaceful neighbor, Canada, their World Economic Forum puppet, Justin Trudeau, declared martial law for about 24 hours when the truckers were protesting in Ontario. And what you saw there was um, unidentified, very mercenary looking, were they police, were they soldiers? Very hard to tell because they weren't identified, which is characteristic of a, a, an unaccountable mercenary. And they were very violent toward peaceful, lawful Canadian protesters. You saw the same black clad, unidentifiable, super fit looking um, mercenaries. And the reason I say super fit is that if you look at your local cops, you know, they don't look like highly trained global mercenaries. So dramatic physical difference. They don't look like special ops guys, right? Same thing in France when there were protests against the Green Pass dramatic violence, shocking scenes by these unidentifiable mercenaries. Well, and, and then if you look at the emergency, I mean, it's so, all the pieces are so obvious. President Biden extended emergency law in April. It was the eighth time he extended it. Um, this time he didn't even bother to say it was due to a public health emergency. He said it was due to instability in Iraq. But what that did was it allowed him to flow millions of dollars unaccountably to health and human services. So he's basically weaponizing health and human services all the way down to boards of health, which have, have been weaponized during the pandemic. And so we are at step 10. This is step 10. Nothing legally prevents right now um, here in New York State, the governor from doing what she's trying to do, which is create quarantine facilities and have a regulation to drag people off to open-ended quarantine if they're exposed to a bloodborne pathogen. We narrowly defeated a similar uh, regulation proposal in Washington State. But with the World Health Organization Treaty, they will have the right, you know, nothing will stop them from having mercenaries that I can't identify show up at the end of my driveway and say, Naomi Wolf, you're a public health threat. And the reason they can do this also is that this messaging is uh, focusing on mental health too. And so if you fold mental health into public health, then you get a rationale to say, oh, dissent is a form of craziness. The way that uh, it's it's framed in, for instance, uh, communist China. Um, so we are dissolving sovereignty all over the world if the WHO treaty is signed. And it's it's absolutely terrifying. And we are we need to wake up and realize that this war is being waged against us. Our nation is literally, traitors are dissolving the boundaries of our nation. So you mentioned that there's a war being waged against the United States. And I suspect that the perpetrators of this war are the global cabal that embraces technocracy. Um, there are there are several kind of camps of perpetrators from my analysis and i just want to credit you dr mercola because you were way ahead of the curve in identifying um how serious this was and the sources uh from which it would emanate um but i don't see them as no no light between them uh, i see that they're loosely operating in concert and as i mentioned um certainly technocrats if you know big tech is an alliance of technocrats 
Um, certainly the World Economic Forum, again, they're not in lockstep in using the CCP kind of as a cat's paw. Pharma isn't even the main driver, in my judgment, as, as powerful and scary as it is. I think they're using pharma as a, a, as a weapon, basically as a global weapon. Um, so these, these entities and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and other bad nonprofits like EcoHealth Alliance, which is at the center of everything, um, and this is Peter Dajic's organization, and uh, other aligned bad nonprofits like the Committee for State and Territorial Epidemiologists, these, these third-party nonprofits allow government agencies like the CDC to kind of offshore their criminality for instance, the CDC contracted with um, these third parties to manage their data. And my book shows how there's been a consistent mismanagement or uh, manipulation of data around the pandemic to the extent that one of my chapters is called the unverifiable pandemic. Um, but uh, these, so all of these bad actors are kind of loosely aligned. They're talking to each other, um, you know, Amazon and Google and Microsoft benefit from you know the pandemic uh in ways that i show google owns baseline which you have to sign in to to get a cvs uh, pcr test um microsoft uh built the vaccine passports bill gates is invested in the vaccines i just did a bombshell interview with rfk jr in which he said you know all of the big tech companies are invested in vaccines so it's a it's a pretty fully fleshed out um methodology that involves big tech, involves CCP, involves World Economic Forum, and now the WHO as a as a delivery method to create a one world matrix in which nation states are meaningless, parliaments and congresses are meaningless, and all of us are surveilled or tracked um, and regularly injected or forced to take whatever pill or treatment or intervention they want us to take. Uh, in such a way as to make freedom a thing of the past and, and also in such a way as to harvest all of our data um, continually, which is, you know, gold for tech companies. Yeah, and ultimately harvest us. <laughs> and ultimately harvest us. You're not, Dr. Mercola, I hate to say this, but you're, you're not wrong. I didn't want to believe this, but um, my husband, Brian O'Shea, is a highly trained investigator who spent 12 years in military intelligence and with special forces and and then did competitive intelligence. And he warned me early on and has shown me the documentation, pardon me, that uh, China wants to be by 2049 the repository of all the world's DNA, of the, the DNA of everyone. And that's why, um, you know, questions like where does the DNA go when you have a nasal swab? You know, the last two nasal swabs I, I had had Chinese lettering on them. I don't know where it goes. CBS didn't know where it goes. Um, but in addition to all of our DNA, this seems too horrific to be believed. But I have seen the documentation provided by my husband, first-hand documentation, and I, I'm open to believing it. These people are such monsters. There's a highly lucrative traffic in organs in China, and they harvest organs from Uyghurs, which you know. Um, so all of these uh, startups that are popping up everywhere to kind of uh, assess the health of your organs, these people have no respect for human life. Um, you know, the fact that I, I've just done reporting along with the uh, Daily Cloud War Room researchers reading Pfizer papers showing that there's 
disruptions in baby formula supply, the mRNA vaccine we've proven poisons breast milk in certain critical ways. And these tech bros are invested in something called Biomilk, which is a a, a lab-made breast milk substitute. Um, you know, I think these people will stop at nothing. I mean, there there's like, I'm pro-choice, but there's aborted fetal cell lines in the mRNA vaccines, you know, that, that Catholics don't want to take. I mean, the, you know, there are new laws um, that have been passed that kind of allow a baby to be a newborn to be, you know, kind of euthanized within a, a month after birth. You know, I'm a traditional liberal. You know, I'm pro-choice. I'm not <clears throat> kind of a, a, a ideologically rigid about about science, but the people running them this have no respect for human life, and they've shown they've shown that in the way they run China. So uh, I'm sure you're familiar with Matthias Desmet's work, the psychologist out of, uh, professor of psychology at the University of Belgium. Yeah. And uh, he's responsible for the concept of mass formation, or at least bringing it to public awareness, primarily through Robert Malone, popularizing it on the 50 million view broadcast he did with Joe Rogan on New Year's Eve. Right. So I had a recent interview with him. I, I suspect your interview might go up before his because we're aligning it with the publication of his new book, The uh, Psychology of um, Totalitarianism, I believe. And it's his thesis that um, essentially dictatorships can last for centuries if the dictators are benevolent. Uh, But uh, totalitarian regimes, and the best examples, of course, we have are Nazi Germany and Russia with Stalin, uh, tend to invariably self-destruct. So the, the reason I state that as a premise, it is his contention that this process, that we are we are rapidly approaching a global totalitarianism, no question. We've never had this before. We've only had it in specific countries. Uh, so if it self-destructs, and I, I'm, it seems like this China plan that you referenced for control of DNA and, and, and the world population is, is, is almost irrelevant because <laughs> the whole system is going to collapse before then. I tend to agree with this assessment. So I'm wondering what, you know, you're, you're a really critical thinker in this area. You, have, you haven't lost those skills. <laughs> you haven't been brainwashed by the propaganda like essentially 90% of the United States population. So I'm wondering what your, your thoughts are on this. So the question is, do I agree that totalitarian yeah. regimes inevitably self-destruct? Yes, and, and if they do, then that really mitigates any, not mitigates, but dramatically lowers the, the impact of future projections because things are going to change so radically. Oh, my gosh. Well, I, you know, first, a shout out to, to our publisher, Chelsea Green, who I think... Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, my publisher, too, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's why I said our publisher, they're, they're always at the forefront of important work that is too controversial because it's true for mainstream publishers to handle, um, or legacy publishers, I should say. So I haven't read it yet. I, I was just given it. Uh, but from what you're describing, I gently want to... I want to say I, I, I don't agree. Um in the sense that, sure, the totalitarian regimes of the 20th century mm-hmm. collapsed eventually, did they? They collapsed after a world war, 
um, and they and, and millions of deaths. Um, and oh, they tens of millions, tens of millions. Tens of millions, thank you. And they collapsed in the case of, you know, Russia, uh, you know, with mass famines and and deaths in gulags and suppression of liberty for decades and decades. And, and have they really collapsed? I mean, I see Klaus Schwab as a direct heir to Nazi eugenicists. And, and Bill and Melinda Gates um, are carrying on Nazi eugenicist approaches to the human race. Um, these are, you know, the way the WF is trying to manage human beings descends from Nazism. And as I've said elsewhere, and again, I'm the granddaughter of, you know, a woman who lost nine brothers and sisters to Nazis. So I don't say this lightly, but, you know, and don't take this out of context, but Nazism was too good an idea for it to be killed off in 1945, meaning it was too effective. Um, and we're seeing Nazi approaches to human life, right? The creation of a two-tier society, you know, vaccinated, unvaccinated, life unworthy of life. I've got a section of my book looking at his, the history of restrictions and how always restrictions on assembly, restrictions on commerce, it, like with Jim Crow laws or with um, restrictions on where Native Americans could travel to, how they could trade, those always, or Jews, right, in, in, in Vichy, France, those always precede theft of assets. And so that's what's happening now to the whole world with lockdowns. All of humanity was restricted in advance of a massive theft of their assets. And that's going to continue unless we resist it. But no, I, I don't agree that totalitarian regimes, well, first of all, in the 20th century, they collapsed after massive death, starvation, and upheaval and suffering. But second of all, you know, Holy Roman Empire, you know, lasted for 800 years, I believe. And it was pretty totalitarian. You know, the Roman Empire, they crucified people. It was pretty totalitarian living in Palestine, you know, in Jesus's time under the occupation of the Romans. Um, that lasted for centuries and centuries. So sure, if we've got 500 years you know, or 800 years into the future, maybe the global totalitarianism that's being erected right now will have collapsed. But I don't think we should, you know, relax because, uh, you know. No, no, this is not a call to relax. It's right. It's just, just sort of attempting to project or estimate what's the most likely scenario. I mean, so, look, this is another... I don't think, I haven't seen anyone who's projecting good times ahead. We're in a lull right now. They've relaxed the mandates and the, and such, and we, it seems to be more, at least freer, but this, this is the eye of the hurricane. It's going to get much worse. And I, I totally agree with you. M may I say one thing? Sure. Yeah. The, um, yeah, no, yeah. argument, um, and again, I, I feel ashamed because I haven't read it yet, but... <laughs> the book's not even published yet. <laughs> right. But um, there is another distinguishing factor that, that we have to take into account with this erection of totalitarianism globally compared with those in the past. And that's the role of artificial intelligence. Yes. Um, yeah, which you address. And AI, look, you know, there's AI now has the capability, which I think we saw in the messaging around the COVID pandemic, to tell the same story uh, at the same time around the world at a scale that no human propagandists could ever match. Mm -hmm. and, and AI is like a cat's cradle so that it can take inputs from India about, you know, how people are receiving a propaganda message and adjust it 
um, or it can take inputs from people's behavior in real time or the reactions on social media and adjust it. So there's a, a meta, and, and people haven't even been informed about the extent to which AI can even tweak existing journalism so that, for instance, every time you read the word uh, Delta variant, you would see in front of it the words highly transmissible. And every time you saw the word myocarditis, you would see in front of it extremely rare. So that that's AI. And that's happening all over the world with all, you know, all flows of, of communications um, or virtually all flows of communications. So people can be propagandized and to Desmet's larger you know, large point about mental health, they can be hypnotized and lied to, mm-hmm. and, and a, an artificial reality can be created for them conceptually at a much more sophisticated level than human beings have ever accomplished, even with Goebbels, even with the greatest propaganda mm-hmm. in history. No, we've had, the, we are in the midst of the greatest propaganda campaign in the history of the world. There's nothing that's exceeded this. And I, I, I agree that AI is a big component, and especially it's going to be even huger when we develop artificial journal intelligence, which should be well before 2049. But it's the whole broader scope of technology and, and its influence, which grows almost exponentially every year. And the, the capabilities, as you're well aware of, being the tech of a CEO of a tech company. Uh, so... It's all of that. I, I attempted to dialogue with uh, Desmond on this, and he's not—he's not really proficient in that area. So we didn't really go too deep in that. But my, my concern is that they, with these tools, just as you mentioned, that, that their capabilities are dramatically, extra, exponentially increased to penetrate compared to the last century. There's, 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 there's no comparison. It's just outrageously expanded. So they're, they're. It, it, which is going, which is uh, gives them the capability to rapidly introduce this the, the, their, their attempts I think into the population and we're seeing it I mean it's just exploded no I, I totally agree with you um, and a lot of people understandably like technology it's like the, the Catholic Church in the Middle Ages no disrespect to Catholics, <laughs> you know, tech companies and tech CEOs and, and tech writers have really tried to bamboozle people and make this discourse harder than it needs to be um, to keep people in the dark so that they can maintain their hegemony. Um, and the same is true, I think, for data. Um, you know, a big part of my book kind of explains how digital dashboards assemble health data um, to show that all these dashboards that this whole pandemic terror were were based on um, really can't be verified because you can't see the raw data sets. Um, They're they're essentially fraudulent, which you magnificently expose. Well, we, we don't we don't know because they won't let us know the data sets, right? They but you know, if in a tech in a tech uh, space, if you can't see the raw data sets, something's wrong, right? Because that's how people in digital technology verify that a dashboard is representing what's really happening, you know, on the back end. So uh, they're probably fraudulent. And and I go into detail about how even if it turns out they're not, and they probably are because we can't see the data sets, the way that the numbers have been miscommunicated or lied about to the press who, you know, took dictation without question, um, 
that's essentially a, a giant set of lives. So for instance, these, these dashboards would always um, represent to people a, a giant number of all the people who had ever been infected ever, and this is like two years into the pandemic, without revealing that that's a cumulative total. It includes people who have recovered, which is most everyone. Um, so it's a nonsensical number. And they also don't would do things like really sneaky, awful things like um, stop counting over a holiday weekend like Thanksgiving and then restart again so that the data sets would have stacked up so it would show a spike oh look you hugged your grandma at thanksgiving now there's a spike in covid and it's your fault your grandma's gonna die and that just wasn't real there's also no reason to do it because the counting is automatic the counting is is doesn't take human beings there's no reason to stop it over a holiday weekend it's not like people are getting tired and have to go home the machines do the counting um other things are super questionable and bad like you know in oregon they report a COVID case they define it as cough or a fever presenting with cough or a fever so all of those coughs and fevers are feeding into the oregon data sets and so my poor mom who lives in Oregon is like, oh my God, I can't go out. I'm like, mom, you know, let's look at the numbers. And then it would turn out that like in, in her county, eight people presented with cough or fever and now there's 10 people. And then you're, you know, the, the local newspaper is reporting it as a 20% spike in COVID cases, right? All kinds of nonsense. But where I was going with that is that um, people have to become literate about data and it's not that hard and they have to become literate about digital technology and it's not that hard but I also call for and this sounds kind of counterintuitive you know we've been messaged Dr. McCullough for the last 15 years that everything we do as humans in the analog world without high tech is less good than what tech can do but in many ways and this is so clear right now at this critical moment in history what I call the analog humane world has revolutionary capacities that technology can't compete with. And we need to like paradoxically in this time of crisis, I call on people to reclaim our analog humane world and objects. And what are those, you know, in-person assemblies, you can't hack them. You can't surveil them. A group of people in a living room talking to one another. It's really hard to hack or infiltrate. Well, you, you could if, they, if anyone has their cell phone. If it, well, exactly. So it, you know, it's totally, it's totally monitored. To, totally, totally. But but there there are you're absolutely right. And there are bags that activists I know yeah, carry fair, that yeah, put the fair. cell phones in. Um, so we're in Russia in 1982, you know, again. But but other things like books, you know, physical books physical libraries, physical bookstores, um, houses of worship, in-person schools, um, coins, metal coins, paper money, you can't track them. Uh, you know, combustion engine cars as opposed to electric cars or driverless cars, they can't be tracked as easily. We're really going to have, and, and I kind of tell people like, get off of digital technology and have a, 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 a humane reality for most of your information because literally most of the narratives around what COVID was doing 
were, were communicated to us by digital technology, by Google, by Facebook, by Twitter, who are deplatforming people like you and me and putting the you know alarm signals everywhere. If you go here or go there, how clean is it? Um, but if, if you just count on your own lived experience, you know, the bodies were not stacking up. I'm not saying it was a trivial uh, public health problem, um, but if, if we had lived through 1920 to 1922, um, relying on human life experience, the stories our neighbors were telling us, what we were hearing from our friends, um, we would have lived through a time in which there was a bad respiratory disease around, but not in which all human activity had to come to a close. Yes, indeed. So I like the direction you were taking this conversation with respect to some of the strategies that people can implement, because it's wonderful to have an understanding, a historical perspective on what's just happened, happened so that you can predict the future, or at least reliably predict the likely outcomes. So uh, with that, in, in fact, our mutual publisher, Chelsea Green, the the, the, let's see, the the president or owner, Margot Baldwin, she has encouraged our team to write a book on this topic. So I'm, I'm exploring that. So I'd be very curious uh, with the knowledge you've accumulated and with uh, you've come up with some ideas of what's going to happen. And, and I'm wondering if you could outline some of your uh, best recommendations on what people should do to prepare for this. I mean, there's virtually no one that I have, have connected with who's knowledgeable in this area is disagree with the fact that it's going to get worse. We're in complete agreement, almost universally on that. Mm-hmm. So what do we do to prepare? That's the question on the table because it's there's going to be a limited time. We don't know when it's going to get worse. I mean, it could be next week, it could be next month, it could be two or three years. I don't know, but I think it's going to be sooner rather than later. Well, I, I do agree with you, Dr. Mercola. Um, here, here's my sense of the immediate timeline, and I've been unfortunately right with every projection you know, since I started making them, since this pandemic began. So I just want to tell you timeline, then I want to give you suggestions. Um, The timeline is not good. Um, The November is going to be a very dangerous month in America. Uh, There, I mean, these people will stop at nothing. And I'm literally afraid of like a nuclear attack. and I'm, I'm definitely afraid. on the table, definitely on the table. Exactly. Uh, I'm afraid that the war in Ukraine will be the proxy or the rationale for an attack on the homeland. Um, and, and, and it'll be blamed on Russia, but you know, it could be like with these transnational entities, it could be, it could be anyone. Um, and it, it could even be a false flag. They can do it to ourselves. Well, quite. And and I want to tease out a little bit what you just said about a false flag. I think we're kind of even beyond a false flag right now in America because I I thoroughly believe that our our White House is captured by China, um, that we have a puppet and that, you know, Hunter Biden's laptop. And I, I voted for the Biden administration, which is embarrassing given that they're committing treason, but they can't resist what China and the World Economic Forum want them to do. And so that's why I've been saying, you know, if you look at the harms in the Pfizer documents that my team has revealed, this is a an attack. It's, it's a biological attack, the disruption in our food supplies. I mentioned this earlier, it's an attack. So we are under occupation now. 
It's not going to happen in the future. We have to notice that we are already under occupation. Our, if you like, I used to be a political consultant. Every single thing that um, the Biden administration has done in terms of messaging and symbolism has served to lower the status of the United States internationally and to demean our symbols. I mean, even little things like checking his watch three times at a military funeral, that's not an accident. Those things are highly scripted. And over and over again, you can see an external hand dialing down the prestige and authority of the United States. Um, you know, the withdrawal from Afghanistan, that did nothing but trash our standing uh, internationally. So point is we have a captured White House um, and, and that's very dangerous because it means that the FDA may or may not let poisonous food reach our shelves. Um, the FDA turned a blind eye or colluded with unbelievable harms revealed in the Pfizer documents, which I'd love to go into another time on your show. Um, so the FDA can't be trusted. The CDC can't be trusted. So basically the timeline is um, you can expect more and more disorienting narratives of confusing public events, more and more, it's monkeypox, it's smallpox, it's tuberculosis, you know, to make you feel off kilter and panicked right up until November. In November, I anticipate, I'm sorry to say this, a giant crisis, which will have the effect of, it's not safe to leave your homes, everything's radioactive, or it's not safe to leave your homes, there's smallpox everywhere, um, or you know, there's mass shooters on the loose, it's not safe to leave your homes, and this will drive uh, voters to have to vote by mail instead of in person. And the reason I say this is, as a political consultant, there is um, no way that these people are acting like they're going to be midterms. They're just not. They, they're, they're just acting like there's never going to be accountability. They're never going to be investigations. They're never going to be impeached. They're, and, and so there will be no midterms. So if I were to bet, I would bet that the midterms will be dramatically compromised, if not taken off the table altogether or made um, cosmetic, you know, cursory. Um, I would imagine that we're going to see more and more gangs like what happens right now is malicious um and, and you don't know who they are so we're going to see more and more gangs wreaking havoc in inner cities or wreaking havoc in business with businesses and they'll be called something or other they'll be called antifa they'll be called proud boys but really their job we don't know who they are and their job will be to terrorize everyone i think la is well along with this and to create um, a, a, a kind of the complete loosening of, of social bonds and, and the civil contract um, and lead people to really like wealthy people in, in Latin America, a lot of Latin American countries with horrible gang violence, you know, scared to leave their homes, hiring private security and so on. The defunding of the police is directly um, contributing to this. It's part of this process. Um, and, and it's worked. Like there are so many cities that are uninhabitable now, uh, in effect, with no civil life because of the defunding of police. So that's going to escalate. And so then we'll, we'll kind of be in a, in a, a world which is a lot like, you know, Sierra Leone after the Civil War, where it's not you're not at war, but you're not safe. And then you have to like pay for protection or, you know, the cops don't answer calls or, you know, you're at the mercy of gangs. Um, 
After that, or along with that, there will continue to be disruptions in the food supply, probably disruptions, certainly disruptions in the energy grid and probably cyber attacks. So there's going to be parts of the country that are going to be in darkness or unable to communicate um, intermittently, and that will add to our fear. So all of this is going to play out, and it's going to play out around the world. Um, and they're not going to stop. This playing out is this year. I, I certainly see it ramping up this year, but see, these guys are so clever, and AI is part of this. It's going to ramp up not like you wake up one morning and, oh, my God, the world has changed, but like day after day after day, worse and worse, as it has been. You know, if you told me a year ago or if I told you that we'd be sitting here talking about the dissolution of sovereignty in America and, you know, no baby food, you know, America, um, we'd think, oh, that that's not possible. So it, 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 a lot of it will play out this year, but not dramatically enough to elicit a, an effective counter reaction. Um, and that's their goal. Uh, having said that, there are many things that you can do. And so there's just going to be a degradation around the world, around Eastern Europe of, um, you know, the right to assembly. Parliaments will be told it's not safe to convene or you won't be able to see you know, what parliament is doing, you will be able to see what Congress is doing. Um, it, uh, you know, at this point, historically, I hate to say it, uh, elected leaders get death threats. Um, they get the message that it's not safe for them to legislate the way they want to legislate. Historically, there's going to be a six month period at some point in the near future in which opposition leaders, uh, uh, civil rights leaders, um, outspoken journalists and editors will be arrested and taken somewhere, uh, who knows where they went, um, and either they'll, you know, appear again like Ai Weiwei or they won't, and and that's the point, and this happened in Germany in 1933, and that's the point at which civil society just shuts down, you know, even without a coup because everyone's afraid. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess that's like, that's the way it'll go if we don't stop it. Mm-hmm. There are many, many things to do if we stop it. And then, and by the way, at that point that there's um, this much kind of instability, and then, of course, these mercenaries show up to, you know, reimpose order, but they're not our mercenaries, right? Then we're formally, there's no more United States. Um, what, what's your projection of the probability of that happening? Well, again, this is like we're in a time of radical testing of our free will, yeah, right? absolutely. It's... If, if we don't wake up, it's 95% that it's going to go this way. And, and along those lines, one of the other things I discussed with Desmond is that 10%, it's only 10% of the people who haven't been brainwashed. There's maybe 60% or in this quasi-period, but 30% are brainwashed. Only 10% of people are awake. You're so right. It's, it's pretty, and that that's a consistent estimation from a wide number of people who are really under uh, know this field really well so it's 10 percent, right and you agree with this you i mean you the experts would agree with it so it's a small group of people who are going to be even able to take action i mean it it is but i think that the numbers are higher in the united states and that's due to a lot of hard work of of a lot of people in the last year and a half including you um so i guess what i would say is that there's a robust grassroots resistance to this in the United States. And the Second Amendment is, I I can't believe I'm saying this, but the Second Amendment is the key to the U.S. having hope that other countries 
don't have. Um, so, uh, yes, I would say maybe 30 to 35%. There's a the huge conservative and libertarian press here that hasn't been propagandized in the same way. And mm-hmm. it's weird, right? What, you know, you'd think the liberal press would be about science and, and critical thinking, but they're wholly bought off, as I point out, in the bodies of others. So, um, their, their, their communication channels have been impaired. So they're not on YouTube or Twitter right. or Facebook, but they, they, there's certainly many other platforms that they are available on. Absolutely, no question. So given, even though I agree with you that it's a minority who are awake, as you put it, um, and I was just contacted by a member of the European Parliament who wants to bring the Pfizer findings to the European Parliament because she said, as you're saying, like people really don't know they're going along with it. They have no idea. Um, I guess, well, first I want to say in America, there's, there is a lot you can do and even worldwide. This fight is going to only be successful locally and on a state level. And so the things you can do are you know, I'm learning marksmanship. I hate to say it, but this is where we're at. I'm a peaceful person. I hope no one takes this out of context, but you need to be able to defend your family. You know, you need to be able to hunt. I mean, we, we are getting to that point, right? Even if you hate guns, now is the time to learn, you know, <laughs> learn marksmanship and, and, and be comfortable with a weapon because you may need to, you know, kill for food um yeah it's not just marksmanship just there's a whole courses that go along with gun safety and how to use it and carry it and care for them so it's it's an educational curve on there and you really need to engage in that if you haven't never had any training in that area thank you so much i appreciate that i'm i'm new to this so uh i i appreciate you you adding that because i was well prepped for two y2k so that's when I, wow that's All when right. i got my education i actually attended several military training training courses, so, uh, and how, well, then, how to shoot and prepare yourself. Yeah, Dr. Mercola, the things you were trained for with Y2K are probably the same things I'm going to be identical, saying. Identical, identical. Yeah, um, you know, know where your food is coming from, make friends with farmers, um, you know, create, if you can, in the country, uh, or join a CSA with your with your your neighbors, imagine that you wake up one day and there's no, well, you went through this with Y2K and there's no electricity and no, mm-hmm. you know, digital communications. What will you do? Do you have a plan? I tell people to print out their bank statements and their asset statements because, you know, the great reset, you know, you should expect that there will be some giant blitz and it'll all vanish. Oh, what do you mean? You own this property. No, you don't. Um, and, and then I would say, you know, at a state level, we can fight this in the United States because uh, Governor DeSantis said, you know, the World Economic Forum, they're not going to enforce it in Florida. Uh, The New Hampshire legislature passed a really good bill saying, you know, the federal government can pass, you know, if if they pass an unconstitutional law, they're not going to enforce it in New Hampshire. So, 
I, we have been very successful at Daily Clout, uh, state by state, mobilizing people to lobby their state representatives, but they have to do it fast to pass laws um, and to show, you know, massive grassroots movement um, to not enforce the World Economic Forum um, diktats at the state level. And our founders were such geniuses because they set up our system so that states could do this. Yeah, the, the caveat around that, I just see an article, I think that Robert Malone wrote addressing Dr. Uh, DeSantis in Florida. Uh, the, the threat that the federal government is using is withholding federal tax benefits to the state. Mm-hmm. So what he was saying is that encouraging the states to stand up, they've got to say no to the federal subsidies to, right. to retain their sovereignty. Right. And, and so, Dr. Mercola, you're identifying a really important core tenet of what has to be a new movement um, and America can be a model for the rest of the world. What I foresee is that there's going to be a movement of institutions and spokespeople that are publicly forswearing CCP money and federal money um, if it's corrupted and, and World Economic Forum money, you know, which is doubtless going to flow. And uh, they'll, they'll be open to disclosing their books, disclosing their funders. And the goal now is to create a whole alternative civil society. And I've actually just bought a property to start an institute to do that, to invite all the people who are doing that. I hope to invite you as well um, to create uncorrupted science, uncorrupted uh, you know, journalism, uncorrupted uh, medicine. Um, and, 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 and hopefully we can invite you know, governors um, and heads of universities and so on to kind of take the pledge and create uncorrupted American institutions that, you know, they're answerable to the American people and kind of a new, a new rebirth of anti-globalist corruption. And, and it's going to take that at the very least. The noble goal. <laughs> so are there, are there any other, uh, uh, recommendations that you have with respect to prepare, preparing, or is it? Because yeah, I don't think you really address that in your book, the, the body, which I never <laughs> named your book. I think it's the body of others. The bodies of others. Bodies of others. The COVID nineteen authoritarians. Yes. So, and that's a, that will be available in on Tuesday. On Tuesday. Okay. Good. Pre-order it now. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, it was, uh, so I don't think you really discuss what you just reviewed now, which is, I was curious to find out if you would, because to me, that's one of the most important areas is to, what, what do we do? So we know all this, what do we do? We, we don't have to be convinced, you know, we've gone through years, we've been, we went through, we've done our training. Mm-hmm. What's the next step? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, I do think that in the analysis I offer in the bodies of others, um, by explaining what's behind so many directives, we readers do understand a lot about what to do. I mean, I agree that I just added some detail, but you know, I explain so thoroughly how fake the data are. You know, as as you have and other people have, um, that I think that people have read my book, um, like my mom. I think my book is a good antidote to uh, the psychology of totalitarianism. I think it's like with the beauty myth, you know, much smaller example, but the beauty myth deconstructed a mythology and 
um, people said, readers said, that they felt freed of this hypnosis after having read The Beauty Myth. By the same token, I do believe, and I'm hearing, that people who are reading the bodies of others um, can kind of break apart this hypnosis that's been laid on them because they can use critical thinking to know, you know, when they're being lied to. I think that's fundamental to whatever we do together next, you know, to have that free will back again. Um, I think that, you know, my call to re-embrace the analog world, my identifying what that looks like um, is, is fundamental. Like when you get a hundred people in a town hall talking to each other in person, solutions arise that aren't prescriptive and that aren't top down, but it's that technology of getting a hundred people together in a town hall that has to be re-embraced and redefended before those, you know, solutions arise that are going to be appropriate for that local community. Um, and, you know, I also think that by showing people how the legislative process got corrupted uh, and providing on my site Daily Cloud the way to draft your own laws and and pass your own laws, um, I am providing people with, you know, very concrete ways to protect their liberties and to know what to do in the future. Um, so, so I hear you, but I, I do think that, um, you know, there's a pretty clear blueprint uh, in, in the book as well. And you, it's also a matter of leading by example. I know you describe your journey into having the courage to take some of the actions that you did by using others as role models and, and inspiring you to action, but then by your actions, you actually are inspiring others. So I think of one area in the book where you implore people to recognize that you're gonna to have to abandon some long cherished uh, activities or traditions. Like you, you had to give up the, I think you moved to a more rural area in New York and then you found a new synagogue and they eventually because of your positions, they eventually told you to leave. They kicked so, me out. They kicked you out. So, um, which is interesting. So, you, you know, you basically need to wake up and rethink things and, and, and take a look around and, and do the analysis because we're in a rapidly changing world. Indeed. And I feel remiss if I didn't add, you know, totally yes, what you just said. Um, I personally have had to kind of give up you know, my status as a media darling on the left and my friends and my networks on the left uh, when I began to do real reporting on this pandemic and and on the mRNA vaccines. Um, and we are in a time where people will have to decide what am I here for on this planet, you know, and, and just know that if you cling to lies and you cling to your professional status, uh, your children will live as slaves and so will you and it's time to be brave because if we're a little bit brave now we don't have to be you know horrifically brave in the near future um but i you know on a happier note i do see that people are creating new alliances um you know transcending left and right grassroots uniting to defend our constitution and our nation but i, I do feel i would be remiss if i didn't say to you and this is hard for me to say because i'm trained you know, at Yale and Oxford, and I'm not supposed to talk like this, but I also think we're in a, a massive spiritual moment, you know, that we're in a biblical moment and that there's a level of metaphysics, you know, o over and above the material and the political uh, assault on us and our reaction. 
and this is, I'm just speaking for myself, but I do feel like this is part of the picture, the nature of the evil that is, you know, to unfolded around us so holistically, uh, so quickly, and all these people moving in lockstep, even with AI, um, and all these people losing free will at once, and all this targeting of, you know, touch and compassion and family and children and babies now, you know, with the research that we've done, the uh, the way the RNA vaccines target the fetus, target the amniotic uh, membrane, target, you know, lactation. This is a, a, an evil beyond what Nazis could accomplish, right? This is an evil of a Miltonic scale. And I've looked at it from all sides, and I'm just gonna say this, I can't account for it with purely human material processes. Um, it's got an element of sophistication and scale and grandeur that really seems beyond the human to me and, and to have an element of the, you know, just massive existential evil. Um, and I, I'm Jewish, so we don't have a highly developed notion of Satan, but, the, you know, these are seem to be malevolent forces that, that that, are, that can accomplish things beyond what human beings can accomplish. So as a result, I have started to believe in God in a more literal way than I used to because these malevolent forces seem to be directed at what is good, you know, what is divine, you know, the human face, which is, my tradition says, an image of God, you know, the human body, which is made in God's image, um, you know, love, which is a manifestation of the divine according to many religious traditions. So the family, you know, this is all like, it's like all the things that are being targeted are what is divine about our human journey on this planet. I don't know where to go with that, except that it seems like we're in a moment in which in addition to all the things we can do, and I'm just speaking for myself, I think we can pray. Yeah. You know, like to me getting out of this, we don't have the ability just as human beings to get out of it. It's too big, but I do believe that getting out of it requires a, an awakening that's massive and for myself anyway, I'm asking for divine help. You know, it's, it's worked before. <laughs> no, I couldn't agree more. And I think that's a beautiful summary and way to end and really focusing on the sort of the unintended consequences that these malevolent uh, uh, forces are, are influencing our, our culture. And that, just as an example, the recent one is the the uh, limit shortage of the infant formula. Well, that actually doesn't have a consequence. That's a good thing because this infant formula is really almost from hell. I mean, it, it, there's high fructose corn syrup. There's seed oils. These these are not designed to optimize human health in any way, shape, or form. Ideally, women should be breastfeeding. For those who can't or unable, there are other healthier alternatives. So it's a good thing. So this, in the same way, these malevolent actions that are being uh, focused on our, our population can result in this, this awakening of, of the need to connect spiritually. So I think it's a, it's a brilliant epiphany that you've had. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you. And Dr. Mercola, I want to thank you too, because as far as I know, you're one of the only um, experts to offer alternative recipes for breast you know, for breast milk and for formula to women who can't breastfeed and who can't get formula. I yeah, really there's things to do, yeah. I mean, we, we've mentioned that many times, and there's very clever, sophisticated, again, malevolent intentions of design because there, you cannot sell commercially in the United States any 
competitor to the existing three that exist or four, oh, whatever wow. they are. It, there's regulatory hurdles that absolutely prevent you because we, we were going, it was like 15, 20 years ago, we were going to provide a healthy form. You can't. It's like physically impossible. You cannot pass the regulatory threshold. <laughs> they, made, they put up these barriers to prevent any competition. But there's nothing to prevent you from sharing how someone can create their own healthy form. And that's what we've done. So it's, it's actually, unfortunately, we uh, delete our articles after 48 hours, but it's on my Substack. And if you go to the Substack, you just put in the uh, healthy infant formula and come up with the formula we put, which was modified from Weston Price uh, Foundation. I will share that widely. It's really a lifesaver um, at, at a time like this for when there's really a war yeah, on yeah. which we can discuss. But, it, but it, it, I think more, even more excitingly, it, it, it improves human health yeah. rather than destroys human health. And you know, one of the aspects of it, just focusing on the infants, I, I think it was in your book, wasn't it in your book, or maybe it was in the podcast I was listening to, that in the last two years, the IQ has gone down 20 points of kids. 20 points. 20 points. It's, it's shocking. That is in my book, and you're absolutely right. It's a Brown University study that showed that uh, kids um, socialized during the pandemic lost 21 points in IQ due to restriction of their social interaction. And I'm, you know, people who work with as speech pathologists with children are saying that speech impediments are up 300 percent because kids learn how to speak from seeing faces. And this is part of the argument I make in the bodies of others that these masks, you know, well-established have barely any medical purpose, but what they do is they, they suppress the human advantage of communication and smiling and, 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 and retard children, essentially. I mean, 21 points is the difference between, you know, average and a genius or average and, you know, learning disabled. It's shocking. All right, well, it's a great book, and I really want to thank you for your perseverance, your commitment, your disciplines, and hanging in there, and seeking to uh, educate and catalyze uh, actions to help prevent global tyranny because i mean it looks like it's on the table it clearly is and it, it's going to be we're, we we need all the help we can to resist this force to to push us into global slavery so. absolutely and i'm grateful for you and your team as well dr mercola thank you for your yeah, we can't we can, so the name of the book is the bodies plural of others covid19 authoritarians and there's something after that and the war against the human and the war against the human so and then of course you've got your website which is the primary website the daily cloud dailycloud.io and you can find me on getter at dr naomi r wolf so much better because they kicked you off of twitter and totally kicked me off They've still kicked me off. Yes, I'm, I'm fully fully silent, so please order my book. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they've taken us another step that if someone even puts a link to our site or one of our articles, they won't that won't be allowed. They don't even do that for InfoWars. <laughs> no, that's right. We are we are taboo. So I'm I'm honored so to be in your company. Yeah, so I want to congratulate you too for joining the Kryptonite Club. Oh, is that what we are? <laughs> you know the Kryptonite Club because you know, I've been a member for a long time, so it, 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 you, once you're a member of the Kryptonite Club, you are forbidden to ever, ever be published by any traditional publisher. They, they, they will, they're your Kryptonite. They will not and, and yet we keep being right. Right, right, and right, and right. Well, I'm glad to be in the trenches with you and other heroes. So thank you so much, Dr. Mercola. All right. Well, thank you for, for joining us, and congratulations on the book. Thank you. Take care.